Hi, everyone. Welcome to our podcast. It's great to have you with us. I'm Father Patrick. In today's episode, we will speak about the second coming of our Lord, the final judgment, and some conclusions to have in mind for our spiritual life. Around the time of the ascension of the Lord into heaven, there were two things that were clearly told to the apostles. One, that Jesus would not leave them alone. And the other, that he would return at the end of times, just as he had left. However, as our Lord was going up to heaven, everything seemed to come to an end for the apostles. For a moment there, the disciples thought that the Lord would leave them alone. At least, that seemed pretty clear to them, as this time the apparition of our Lord ended with him going up into the heavens, and, as the Act of the Apostle says, being taken away from their sight by a cloud. But our Lord is always faithful to his promises. So on the one hand, our Lord had said, Behold, I am with you always until the end of the age, in Matthew 28, 20. So while Jesus would be ascending into heaven, and his bodily presence would no longer be visible on earth, somehow he would not leave them alone. He would still be with his apostles, and he did this in two ways. First, through the Eucharist, and second, by sending the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus fulfilled this promise even before his death and resurrection, when he left the apostles his body and blood in the Holy Eucharist. During the Last Supper, when our Lord consecrated the bread and the wine, he changed the entire substance of the bread into his body and the entire substance of the wine into his blood. By substance, we mean the being of the bread and the being of the blood, of the wine, sorry. In such a way that there was no longer bread or wine, but the body, blood, soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, true God and true man. And this miracle is repeated each time a Catholic priest celebrates Mass at the moment of the consecration. So when we receive communion, we are not receiving bread or wine, but the entire Jesus Christ. After communion, what is kept in the tabernacle, that that is in there is Jesus Christ himself. And what stays in the tabernacle during the week before, until the next time we say Mass, or until the next Sunday, that too is Jesus Christ himself. And in just the same way, what is exposed for adoration in the monstrance is Jesus Christ himself, true God and true man. So Jesus, that Jesus in the Eucharist, in the Blessed Sacrament, deserves our adoration because he is God. We owe adoration to Jesus Christ present in the most blessed sacrament of the altar. So it is through the Holy Eucharist that Jesus fulfills his promise to stay with us until the end of times. Now the other way in which our Lord fulfilled his promise of not leaving us alone was by sending the Holy Spirit on the Catholic Church. 
During the Last Supper, he said, and I quote from John chapter 14, verses 15 through 20, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you always, the Spirit of truth, which the world cannot accept, because it neither sees nor knows it. But you know it, because it remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. Up to there the words of our Lord. Now this promise was specifically fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came in a visible way on the Virgin Mary and the Apostles. From that day on, the Holy Spirit has been with the Catholic Church, in the Catholic Church, we could say, inspiring it, assisting Her Magisterium, and being a source of unity. The Holy Spirit has also continuously been a source of holiness in each and every one of the Catholic faithful, through the sacraments of the Church and through His interior inspirations in each, of, each one of our souls. Now, all this that I said refers to the first promise of our Lord, that is, that he would not leave us alone. But there was a second promise, and that would be the most important one in this episode, right? The angel that appeared to the apostles on the day of the ascension said that, the, that Jesus, the Lord, would come again in the same way that they saw him rise into heaven. His specific words, the words of the, apostle, of the, of the angel to the apostles, we, are, we can find them in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1, verse 11. He said, This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will return in the same way as you have seen him going into heaven. So this is something that the church has firmly believed and hoped for, that at the end of times, the Lord Jesus Christ will come again with great glory and power. This second coming of the Lord, because the first one is when he came as a baby through the womb of the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem, this second coming of the Lord at the end of times is also called parousia, which comes from the Greek word that is used for the, for, to mean arrival or an official visit. So we know for sure that he will come with power and glory, but at the same time, we do not know when this will happen. And we, we know for sure that we do not know. To put it briefly, the Lord Jesus Christ will one day come to this world with glory and power, and with that, the human history as we know it will come to an end. His second coming will be preceded by a time of persecution against the Catholic Church. It will be a time of wars, of insurrections, and other natural calamities, like earthquakes and other signs in the sky. After those signs that everyone will be able to see, Jesus Christ will come in such a way that everyone will be able to recognize it. And then the dead will all rise from their tombs, and their souls will be united to their bodies. 
After that, there will be a universal judgment in which, in which Christ will judge all men. And that's the final judgment, also called the universal judgment. Everyone will be present in that judgment, so everyone will be able to know the evil and the good that everyone else has done. And everyone will be able to see who is saved and who is condemned. Finally, those who are saved will go to heaven, and there they will live with God and his saints forever. While those who are condemned will go to hell for all eternity, separated from God, with no hope of ever fulfilling their desires of truth, of goodness, of love, and of happiness. Now, as to the exact day when all this will happen, nobody knows because God intentionally did not want to reveal this to us. And therefore, anyone claiming to know the proper time of this second coming must not be believed. As we read in the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 24, and I'm quoting only some verses because it is a long passage, and, but you could read for yourselves all chapter 24 of St. Matthew. There we read, As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples approached him privately and said, Tell us, when will this happen, and what sign will there be for your coming, and of the end of the age? Jesus said to them in reply, See that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. If anyone says to you, then, Look, here is the Messiah, or There he is. Do not believe it. So if they say to you, He is in the desert, do not go out there. If they say, He is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For just as lightning comes from the east and is seen as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming upon the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. But of that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. Up to there, the Gospel of St. Matthew. Now, the compendium of the Catechism of the Catholic Church says in number 134, After the final cosmic upheaval of this passing world, the glorious coming of Christ will take place. Then will come the definitive triumph of God in the parousia and the last judgment. Thus, the kingdom of God will be realized. And regarding the last judgment, the compendium says in 135, Christ will judge with the power he has gained as the Redeemer of the world. The secrets of hearts will be brought to light, as well as the conduct of each one toward God and toward his neighbor. Everyone, according to how he has lived, will either be filled with life or damned for eternity. Up to there, the Companion of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. 
So now let us look at some uh, considerations or reflections that we could draw for our spiritual benefit and our spiritual life. The first thing to have in mind is that there have been and will continue to be and appear people, pseudo-prophets we could call them, who claim to know when the second coming of Christ and the end of the world will occur. My advice to you, do not believe them. The words of Jesus are very clear. You can read Matthew 24 again. And remind yourself that God has not wanted to reveal this to us. And therefore, no one knows, nor could possibly know, when the exact time of the end of the world will be. Now, a spiritual, as a second point or a second important uh, conclusion is a very important spiritual attitude to have, which is to always be prepared for the coming of our Lord. Of course, the end of the world can happen at any time, even during our lifetime. However, even if it were to happen maybe 50 years from now or 100 years from now, the end of my own life, of your own life, will in fact happen sooner. And you and I must be well prepared for that. Because we also know that at the end of our lives, at the end of your life and at the end of my life, there will be a particular judgment. That is, we will have to face our Lord and give an account of our life. That even though that judgment is personal for us and private in the sense that the rest of the world won't be a witness, it will still have the same result for us as the universal judgment of the end of times. So we do have to be prepared. We should never become negligent regarding our own salvation. On the contrary, we should always try to be in the state of grace, aware that at any moment our lives could come to an end. Because I notice many people who are so concerned about the things of this world, about their exams or about their uh, future date or about their vacation or what they're going to do on the weekend, that they forget that maybe they don't get to that weekend. Or maybe they die before that. So we need to be conscious that at any, at any moment, we could die. And this is not to be anxious or afraid, but to be prepared, just to be on guard, or if you want, if you want to be watchful, as our Lord says in the Gospel. And this is why the third consequence, or if you want, spiritual reflection that I wanted to draw uh, for you today, that in this sense, both regarding our death and regarding the end of the world, we should not live in anxiety. But on the contrary, we should look at these things with a spirit of faith, with a spirit of hope. That is, if we give more importance to the things of this world than to the things of heaven, then it will make sense to be anxious when we think about that our lives will come to an end. Because we are too concerned about the things of this world. So we should always have a spirit of faith, knowing that eternal life, that our life with God, is much more important than our life in this world. Although, although both things are important, right? Our life in this world is very important, of course. But our eternal life is much more important than this one. And therefore, if we have lived well in the service of God and our neighbor, we should look at the end of our lives 
with hope and even with joy. There is, in fact, one of the prayers of the masses of the dead. There's a preface a, that's a particular section of the Mass for the Dead that we say before the consecration, right? Uh, it's called the preface, and in that preface of the Mass for the Dead, we read the following. For your faithful Lord, life is changed, not ended. And when this earthly dwelling, our bodies, right? When this early, earthly dwelling turns to dust, an eternal dwelling is made ready for them in heaven. So the reality of death, while, a sti while still a, uh, a paid, painful experience, it is in fact a necessary step for us to be able to see God and, et and enjoy eternal happiness. So a fourth consideration with all this is a great example in the life of St. Aloysius Gonzaga that can apply very well to this. St. Aloysius was a member of the aristocracy, and he was born in what today is northern Italy in 1568. And although he was, his family was against his becoming a priest, he insisted so much that he finally entered the Society of Jesus at the age of 17. Now, in 1591, while he was still a student, or, uh, not yet a priest, a plague broke out in Rome. Many people were getting sick, and they were dying in great numbers. So, St. Aloysius made great sacrifices to carry the sick to the hospital, to care for them, and even to bury the dead. Now, he felt a great interior rejection against that type of work and he had to deny himself to be able to continue his service for the sick. Now, on one particular occasion, as he was serving a sick man, a sick man he himself got infected with a, diseased, with a disease and died in, July, in June 21st, 1591. So he was a great example for the youth and a great example of service for one's neighbor. But above all, he was an example of purity and protector and patron of the youth, as he had to live many years in the world among the aristocracy of that time, which could be very frivolous and impure in many ways. So, among the many other things that he did and said, there's a simple example that can apply to the theme we're talking about. That is not to be anxious about the moment of our death or about the second coming of the Lord. What happened is this. On one occasion, as he was uh, playing a particular sport, some other seminarian asked him, What would you do if you knew that you had only one hour to live? Now, to that question, the saint replied, I would continue playing. And that surprised the other uh, seminarian because one would typically expect, oh, if I'm going to die in an hour, then I would have to do something special, you know, go to confession or say some prayers or uh, you know, fix some other things that I have to do before I die and so forth. But in this case, St. Lucius had so much faith, and he was so aware of not having committed any grave sin, and his assurance of the fact that he was doing the will of God at that very moment, that he was not afraid at all at the possibility of ending his life there and then, and having to give an account of his life before God. So, this is how we should try to live. Not in fear, but with hope in God trying always to serve him 
doing his holy will to the best of our ability. Knowing that if we try always to live in the grace of God, if we do our best and trust in his divine mercy, we can be assured of our salvation. So, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any questions about this or any other episode, do not hesitate to send me an email at info at fourcollegecatholics.org. I really hope to hear from you. And if you can, leave a review on Apple Podcasts to encourage other people to listen as well. May God bless you, and we will see you next time.